Hey, this is Plowing Forward with Chet Lumen for the lands at Hillside Farms. Today's guest is Donna Kilpatrick. Wherever you are in the world, if you don't know Donna, I bet you someday you will. Because her trajectory is incredible. Um, she's a ranch manager and land steward at Heifer USA, Heifer International in Perry, Arkansas. Am I saying all that right, Donna? Yes, Perryville. 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 Yeah. And if you can, just, I'm, I'm sure everybody asked you this, but just a little bit about your education. Um, mm-hmm. People ask me that as well. Like, how do you end up being a management type person? Clearly, mm-hmm. you could be working at a Fortune 50 company, you know, making big dollars. Um, I'm telling you, you can. I could see it from the outside. <laughs> and But you choose this lifestyle. So how does that happen? So this is the personal part of it. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you so much, first of all, for having me on this morning. It's a pleasure to be here. And I've been a fan of the lands at Hillside Farm for quite a while met Suzanne through both of our sort of quests on nutrition and health many years ago. Somehow we crossed paths and I've watched you all grow and change over the years. Again, just thanks so much for having me on this morning. So my, my, how did I find myself here? You know, I grew up in a little town outside of Asheville, North Carolina, a little town called Brevard, North Carolina. My parents were not farmers, but my mom came from from Eastern North Carolina and her parents were commodity crop growers, cotton, tobacco, soybeans, that kind of thing. And I always loved as a kid, our trips uh, to visit my grandparents in Eastern North Carolina. And I found out through the, you know, over the years that I have a real uh, love of the land and a real sense of place. And I could definitely feel that as a child at my grandparents' farm. Fast forward through school and I would have those experiences of going to the farm, but nothing no time in my life at that point that I thought, oh, I want to be a farmer until things changed when I went to undergraduate school at Warren Wilson College in Asheville, North Carolina. And part of the philosophy of the school is based on a triad of work required of all students, regardless of financial need, a strong academic education, and then community service. And when I went to Warren Wilson, they initially placed me on the cafeteria crew, and I immediately went to the dean of work. That's so cool. They have a dean of work. I went to the the dean of work's office and said, you know, I really would love to be on the farm. And somehow I got on. And like one of those corny sayings, when you find your tribe, oh my gosh, I found my place. I found my people. I found my calling. And my parents were a little bit aghast because they were paying for me to go to a private liberal arts college. And I was on the farm when I should have been in class and I should have been coming home for the holidays. I was on the farm. This was in the late eighties. So I'm getting up there and age. I I hadn't seen women driving tractors or running equipment, but I I had an affinity to learn and I would stay over breaks. And that time we plowed, they don't plow. I'm sure they don't plow now. We don't want to disturb the soil. So I would stay over breaks and plow and run equipment, run the pigs and um, had a leadership position on the farm. And that led to quite a few years in the dairy industry. First at a small family dairy, which is now a very large regenerative beef producer and actually not just beef other other proteins as well in North Carolina Hickory Nut Gap Farm which is a leader in regenerative ag and then at a veterinarian in, in North Carolina he had a huge dairy farm we milked oh, I think we milked 550 head three times a day and at that point I decided I really didn't want to do dairy at that scale and I quit that job and I went into the Peace Corps I worked in Ecuador for three years with farmers, did that for three years, 
came back, worked for Warren Wilson in college admissions, traveled around uh, preaching the gospel of Warren Wilson and working on the farm as much as possible, and then saw the position at Heifer. This was in Rutland, Massachusetts. Heifer was looking for a livestock manager, and I decided to take a substantial pay cut and do what I really love, which was get back in agriculture. So I've always sort of had a desire to farm as naturally as possible. I mean, many years ago, even at Warren Wilson back in the in the late 80s, we were doing things sustainably, which was unusual at the time, doing crop rotations and animal movements. So that's always been a part of my farming experience, except for that really large dairy farm that I worked on that was very much commercial on concrete. And I think that's one of the reasons I didn't love it. Regenerative agriculture has taken the place of sustainable. We don't want to sustain anything. I don't want to sustain what we're doing here. We want to move forward and in many cases move way back to our first inhabitants of this land who were farming regeneratively. When we look at Native Americans and and then their processes of farming and, and African Americans, you know, that's sort of what we're going, that's what we're aiming for. So that's really interesting. So regenerative over sustaining. I look at it like resta- uh, sustaining regeneration, right? Yeah. So so it's sort of like that. But and then I always had this fear, like so. Just I I wasn't always in farming as well. I was in finance, right? Uh-huh. So then I end up here and get the whole pay cut, that whole thing. But then there's the passion, right? And the connection to the land. And then there's like even though it's a ton more hours, it's more free somehow, right? Oh, without like, a there's doubt. There's no there's no holiday, you know, on a farm, right? Maybe you could squeeze something in there, but you're always on call at a minimum. But so do you see this, the regenerative movement, I'm going to call it, because really five years ago, hardly anybody heard of it. And there's all these different buzzwords and different parts of society coming up for different movements. Do you Mm -hmm. see this as having staying power? Like, is is this it? It's almost like, you know what I mean? Like milk labels, for example, Sure. you know, organic. Oh no, organic cows are tortured. They're only getting grass. They weigh, you know, 50 pounds and they never get to go outside. Like, so the idea of regeneration is awesome. Love it. The diversity of it. Is it going to survive this? I hope so, because it's the key to ending the climate crisis. I hope that we're in such a state of degradation with how we're treating the earth. And what is it, a forecast of less than 60 now? I mean, this this was a forecast five years ago. So now we're less than 60 years of soil that will sustain crops if we don't change our ways. And that's what um, very few people talk about. So everybody talks about temperature. Even if you don't care about climate change, you don't believe in it, you think it's voodoo soil like they don't make that anymore right so yeah we need soil we need soil they they don't make it anymore but i love that there's research showing that through regenerative agriculture we can actually make topsoil at a much higher speed than uh, than previously thought of regenerative is here to stay i was just recently at the Sustainable Brands Con- Conference in San Diego, followed by a trip to White Oak Pastures. Uh, Will Harris, very famous farmer and a mentor of mine and a dear friend of mine who every time I visit White Oak Pastures, I come away just completely recharged. Love what they're doing. At the Sustainable Brands Conference, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. These are big corporations who have committed to either put money into regenerative practices or 
mostly it's finance. So partner with other either farms or other organizations that are trying to heal our very hot planet. And I was, I heard a lot of CEOs from huge companies talk. And what I left feeling is this isn't just buzzwords. These people are actually committed to this. Corporations like Nestle, PepsiCo, and obviously ones that we've seen do this forever, like Patagonia, but but other organizations that have in some ways over the years been seen as huge contributor to our health crisis and our climate crisis are on board. And I think that's a shift. Yeah, I mean that that's good to hear because uh, you know as a, as a business person in the past, I would I would always see those things as they're doing the minimum to create a marketing opportunity for their product. But if they go, and there there is this concept that had feet for a while and died, and I don't know if you ever heard of it, natural capitalism. But mm-hmm. what it is is, yeah, you could be capitalistic, but you have to take into account all the costs that you create. So if I build a huge energy plant somewhere, I've devalued the homes right around it, for example, or what you're doing to the earth and repairing it. So that's mm-hmm. beautiful stuff. So you, you said something interesting. So you're saying this regeneration is part of, of the healing of the earth. And then on the other side of this argument, which are people on the same side of the issue, but it's how to get there, is, well, no, ruminants are destroying the earth, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have the buffalo argument. Hey, mm-hmm. there were all these buffaloes. They did mm-hmm. everything everything great. So what do you say to the person that says everything should be plant-based? I mean, even though plants are animal-based, right? So, right. But everything should be plant-based. You have to hear that argument if you're coming around young people a lot. It's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. We could go down this path. I sort of hesitate to bring it up, but I think it's very interesting in my own life. I eat a predominantly plant-based diet because my partner is a vegan. She is not a rabid vegan. What you know, One of those that's like calling your farm every day, but one right. that for health reasons, we eat mostly a plant-based diet. So this topic is talk about it a lot. And And I feel like, you know, there's that saying, it's not the cow, it's the how. Cows are not, cows are not destroying the earth. It's how we're raising ruminant animals and how we're, we're managing. So this has to do with management. It has to do with realizing that really is true that for thousands of years, Buffalo roamed the earth. Savory gives a beautiful, Alan Savory of the Savory Institute talks about our national park. If you look at some of our national parks right now, they're some of the most degraded land in the country. Uh, why is that? Well, we have people in there now, not ruminants. Those parks used to have, I was just a week and a half right. ago at Joshua Tree and came upon, and I was thinking about what Alan was saying about these national parks and came across a dam and a huge area where they used to water cattle. And I was on, when I was in Joshua Tree, after going through the savory classes, I really have found myself being much more observant of what's going around on around me. And savory, we talk about brittle environments versus non-brittle environments. And I live in and work in a very non-brittle environment, meaning that there's tons of moisture in the atmosphere. We don't have periods, long periods of no rainfall, but there I was in California in a desert. I saw one insect. We hiked all day long. We hiked on tons of paths and trails. I saw a handful of birds, one insect, And then we came across this old dam that cowboys had built with a huge cattle watering trough. And I was just trying to picture in my mind's eye what that land looked like when cowboys did have livestock in there. Was it better? Was it worse? I don't don't know because I didn't see it. But I can imagine that their hoof action and their impact, their positive impact was probably very good for that eco region. 
So back to your question, what, you know, the argument that livestock are one of the major causes of climate change and our earth heating up. Animals in feed feedlots are definitely not good for the environment. Animals in confinement are definitely not good for envi- the environment. Right. But when you have animals out in their natural habitat and you're managing them well using, we use holistic plant grazing, um, which is very uh, similar to rotational grazing, except that we're looking at our context. Uh, we're looking at a whole year forward and thinking about things we want to plug into that grazing system, such as taking a couple of days off for vacation or the CEO is going to be here and he's going to want to see the cows. Where are they going to be? So planning. I think that grazing is a very, very, positive thing that we can do for the environment and that we actually have to have those ruminant animals in order to restore our ecosystems. I, I completely, completely agree because we've witnessed it here, even though we weren't holistic and we're going in that direction. As yeah. we learn more, we've evolved tremendously just over 15 years. What we were doing five years ago was embarrassing. And five years from now, what we're doing right now is probably going to be embarrassing. But when we exactly. took over this farm, it was, a, it was a corn plot, right? So mm-hmm. it was dirt and stubs, right? Mm-hmm. And then and we were going to bring cows in. There's nothing. And then all of a sudden there's dock everywhere. It's the only yeah. plant you could see. We're like, what? There's nothing with dock. Like, how are we going to feed? And then we just started putting them in there. You know, there'd be a little bit of Timothy here and there. And now it's a mat of grass. We don't till. It's absolutely amazing. And, and it's an argument to have. Like the cows are, you know, we have riparian buffer zones. Understand, you know, about nutrients getting in water. But man, if you could sort of imitate the buffalo on a tiny scale. Just right. moving these animals around. Yeah. It's 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 so cool. And then I, I wanted to ask you about diversity. So and I'm going, this is think of people who maybe you don't even care about farming. So the typical house around me, they kill everything in their lawn that has legs and everything in their lawn that's not a blade of grass, right? Mm-hmm. Then they mow their grass and then they take the grass they mowed off and they take it to the dump. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then they pay people to put nitrogen and fertilizer. Right. And then more killer. You you see what I'm saying? It's very, yeah. It's a reductionist system. It's a direction. Right. And they're having to pay for the reduction that they're making Mm -hmm. because they don't want to see clover. So what about diversity? I mean, have you had experience or thought through like what? What does it take in a pasture? Like if I see a weed, am I in trouble? Uh, you know, what is a weed? Yeah, there's no there's no such thing as a weed if there's somebody out there that wants to eat it. I really think about if folks have read Gabe Brown's book, and I just had the pleasure of spending three days with him, Will Harris's place in Bluffton. Um, but he talks about the, the principles of soil health. And one of those principles is diversity. So not, not only, you know, microbe diversity, which is obviously something we're really tr- aiming for, but also plant diversity. And then take that a step further. We have a stacked enterprise system here at the ranch. Like we're not just doing beef cows, but we've got sheep and we've got woodlot pigs and we've got tons and tons of poultry, both broilers and turkeys. So stacking those enterprises, each of those species enjoys eating different plants, symbiotic relationships, um, and having that different manure on the pastures helps with diversity. But we see diversity just like we see diversity and society as being positive. The same thing is true with our pastures and also with the livestock that we raise here at the ranch. One thing that I've I've incorporated since I started here is, is utilizing cover crops. So you know, when I started four years ago, uh, Heifer Ranch was on a had been on a very different trajectory, which was to bring in faith-based organizations and school groups to learn about Heifer International's mission to end world hunger and poverty and care for the earth. 
We saw a decline as schools didn't have money to bring kids out to the to the ranch, a decline in people coming out to the farm. And we had partnered with Grassroots Farmers Cooperative in 2014 to have a cooperative where area farmers could learn how to farm regeneratively and have a guaranteed market through Grassroots Farmers Cooperative to sell their goods. So back in what, 2017, 2018, when we were shifting from focusing predominantly on general heifer education. Now we focus on regenerative education, regenerative farming. We had rented out most of our pastures. I mean, we're 1,200 acres and and most of our land was rented out to area farmers who were continuously grazing cattle and cutting hay. So just taking off nutrition, taking those pastures away from our ranch. So uh, we were removing good stuff and not putting back anything positive through our management. I took those, took back the land out of those leases and we started holistically playing grazing. We also scaled up. You can't have impact if you don't have the right impact. We couldn't regenerate this ranch with 50 cows. We needed livestock here and we had a market for them. So really scaled up our production, scaled up the positive impact that they were having on the land. You know, we we're doing better in our grazing. We have so far to go. I mean, I think the, I think the cover crop planting cover crops, really learning about cover crops. is something that I have a great passion for working with green cover seed. Um, They've been an invaluable resource for us as we've learned about warm season annuals, cool season annuals, perennials, all that kind of stuff. Diversity is the key. When I plant cover crops, I'm not planting. My first year here, we planted ryegrass and wheat. This year, we're planting, oh my gosh, 12 12 different seeds. We're planting for our warm season annuals, everything from rye to hairy vetch to all kinds of brassicas for the cows to eat. Heck, I go down in the pastures and get dinner for myself um, out of our cow fields. You know, it's really diverse. It's beautiful. It's lush. So we're trying all kinds of things. But really, the key is get as many variety species of plants out there as possible. And that makes your season nice and long. Yeah. Otherwise, when you hit drought, if you have all cool weather grass, it's over. Yep. Because we experienced that as well. And we're coming through that now, just naturally, actually, without seed. It's just, you know, it happens. Yeah. And- well, this year, this year, I've never, I've, my experience with ranching has never had me in an environment where there are army worms. And I don't know if you know what those are. Yes. We got hit hard this year with the army worms. Everyone around us got hit hard. Uh, Texas got blasted with them. I've never seen so much destruction, but we, we did okay because we had diversity. We didn't have just a field of Bermuda grass that came in and got decimated. We had tons of other stuff, brassicas, forbs that the army worms weren't interested in and we're okay. That's the whole monoculture thing. Yeah. It's just super high risk to disease and pestilence and dependency. So an interesting thing you you brought up, I'm not trying to be controversial here enough, but your experience at Heifer International. And then when you say religion, so some people around me are like, why why do we, God's going to fix this? We don't have to do anything, right? Versus the stewardship, you know. And mm-hmm. and I I always looked at it like all all that we're doing is trying to fix things we broke. Like we broke mm-hmm. them. We, mm-hmm. If we weren't here, we wouldn't need this, right? Mm-hmm. That type of thing. And and have you have you experienced that where or do you feel like stewardship is part of 
Yeah, for it was sure. expected of us. I think God expects us to be compassionate and smart. And that if we see that our ship is sinking, that we have brains and the ability to right the ship. I think that it's if we care about our children, if we care about our grandchildren, if we care about anything besides ourselves, then it is extremely important. If we care about species of animals that will become distinct. You know, one thing I have to say, one thing that I was thinking about when I was driving to White Oak Pastures is through the savory training, we learn that nature heals herself. Nature always heals herself. We can go out yes. there and put on Monsanto products all day long, but you know what? Nature will heal from that. It's a very complex system. It doesn't break down if one part gets, you know, injured, destroyed, whatever, it heals itself. But, and so I was thinking about this, you know, climate crisis, nature will eventually heal herself, but we're going to destroy ourselves and all the species of animals on the earth. And yes, thousands of years from now, things will heal from our horrible management, but we have a chance right now to slow that process down. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I always think this way, people will be like, well, you're driving, you know, whatever car and not that car. And I feel, I feel like people miss the whole flip side of this, which are mm-hmm. plants, yeah. right? I mean, I, I think so at least, right? Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. the filter. So I don't think it has to be all constriction on the use side as much as you can't, you can't have greater use of fossil fuels and less plants at the same time. Exactly. And that's how I see this kind of farming, you know, however many acres you're on or we're on or whoever's on. I mean, that's a, that's a contribution right there. Mm -hmm. So this gets into that regenerative farming, even rotational grazing is probably less emotional, like less Mm -hmm. thoughtful Mm -hmm. than Mm -hmm. than holistic grazing is, is not necessarily depending on practices, increasing our carbon output. Mm -hmm. It's, it's decreasing it. I mean, would you agree with that? So, I mean, if you're letting your plants grow and they're pulling carbon dioxide out and you have nice soil and they're fixing it and putting it into the soil and the foot, right? So, I mean, do, yeah. you, do you experience that in your conversations around savory and that, that oh. argument? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, the plants are solar panels where we're trying to capture that photosynthesis process, keep carbon in the soil. It's a cycle. It's not like we're putting carbon in the soil and holding it forever. It is a cycle, but we don't want it escaping into the atmosphere. So by increasing soil quality, having more diversity of plants, I mean, think about plants. They have blades of grass that have all different summer forbs, summer legumes, different plant structure, all being able to capture solar energy and the photosynthesis process. I think it's really important. And water holding capacity. I mean, I think about four years ago here at Heifer Ranch, we would have massive storms and you drive through the pastures and they would literally look like lakes. You do you do not see water standing in fields anymore. You have that spongy soil on top now. I mean, it's getting there. It's like you said earlier, you know, five years. Yeah. Five years from now, we'll look back on what we're doing now and being like, oh gosh, that was really naive. I think we're in the right direction. This is a learning process, but I feel like what we've done to diversify plant species, diversify stack enterprises, cover crops, better manage grazing, those have definitely had a positive impact. And we're being able to capture more carbon and we're measuring that now using Savory's Ecological Outcome Verification Program. I'm out there every single day. I think that in this class that I was in last week, Will or someone said, a good manager has his feet on the ground and his eyes on his livestock. 
I'm out there. It's observation, seeing what's going on with our land, seeing what's going on with our animals. And we're seeing a positive, positive change. How do we convey that to the public, though? Science. We have to show it. We have to show what that's, we're doing. That's where I was going next. And it's, you know, we probably only have time for one more, but how do you get people, people in my family, good people, kind people, they're just living their lives and they're retired or not or going to work and going to the beach. The people that are thinking like we are right now, we have mm-hmm. to admit it's a tiny, tiny percentage of the population, right? Yeah, yeah. Yet this is a way to create food help the environment, restore the environment, restore beautiful lands for people to see. How do you make people that don't care? And I don't want to say in a bad way, but that are indifferent. Yeah. Or or don't you? And you just keep forging forward and doing what you think is right. Hopefully, hopefully people, I think that by, I think you have to start with one thing. And for my, I like this statistic about for every point of organic matter that that you increase, you retain 20,000 gallons of water per acre. So every time you have an increase, one point increase in soil organic matter. So at the ranch here, we've had over the last four years, in some fields, two points of an increase. So that backs up my statement of every time I drive through the the fields after a huge rainstorm. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lake. So we're building, you know, a spongy soil with with lots of life in it. I think that picking one or two things and really talking about, you know, we're not losing 20,000 gallons of, of rainwater into our watershed. We're able to capture that. That means when we have a drought, we're not having to feed out hay. So picking a couple of things that are, I think, really powerful and talking about that instead of doom and gloom, unless you convert to this, the world's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Right. Because yeah, you're instantly uh, cornered somebody then. Yeah. Uh, in, in that case, and it becomes adversarial. To add to that, one more thing is not to demonize any type of agriculture. We all eat food. We all eat all kinds of food. I eat processed food occasionally. I try to eat as, as little processed food as I can, but heck, I'm not above stopping at the gas station and getting something when I'm hungry. I mean, we all eat food Absolutely. of all types. So not to demonize any type of agriculture, but to say, you know, what's one small step that we can each make towards a cooler climate? I mean, it's going to benefit us all to make some small changes towards a more resilient ecosystem. I completely agree. I mean, we're huge on animal welfare. Once in a while, you'll see a comment on our Facebook page, you know, this farm should be like them. That Well, we're a nonprofit. We have the ability to go to a foundation, right? right Every right. farm in the world will probably love to have the barn we have. That's a small right. dairy, right? Yeah. And it's, it's honestly not fair because we're eating their food and it's just, we have to be in it together and yeah. not segregate ourselves and, and fight against one another. And, you know, I, I always think that sometimes, honestly, it's money in our area. It's gotten so bad with runoff that we have what people call a rain tax. Now mm. you get taxed on the amount of impervious space on your personal lot in your home because of the erosion that's happening, taking pollutants to the Chesapeake yeah. and the Susquehanna. Yeah. And boy, yeah. is that controversial. Yeah, right? sure. So yeah. what if, yeah, like what if there was a project, well, if we do these things, that tax doesn't have to exist. Mm-hmm. And that's where it starts talking because there's people that feel with their hearts and then there's people that feel with their wallets. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. So, well, listen, it is awesome to talk to you. This and was so much fun. I, what a great think, way to start the day. Yeah. I'll be bragging about, I talked to Donna Kilpatrick. Oh, stop it. And stop. no, you're awesome. You're really oh, great. You, you're a great person. It. And uh, I'm going to friend you on Facebook because I'm, um, I've been haunting you anyway. And you don't oh, even good. know Oh, good. Please do. Please so, do. I love your posts. Oh, and thank you. 
and you have a wonderful day. Thank you, Chet. And you and continue the good work. You guys are doing amazing stuff. Thank you so much. All right. Take, take care. care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.